Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. Do not forsake me, oh my God, what's happening with this episode? <laughs> the Joker in the pack. I was, you know, I was really looking forward to, to this one because it's, it's such a... Talk about doing something completely different. <laughs> um, and we, we all know why. We all know the backstory about uh, what, why they're having to do this. But it, it was, it's, it's always been an intriguing episode, at least. Mm. One element of intrigue of course is why why on earth is it called do not forsake me oh my darling well first things first it's episode 13 mm. unlucky for some yeah and uh, do not forsake me oh my darling was the original title for of living harmony which was shifted and i believe it ca- uh, tony sloman uh, came up with the the name and of course it's the song from high noon isn't it the- did, they, did they buy the rights and say well I've, we've paid for this we've got to use it it just makes it was originally called Face Unknown. Mm. That was Vincent Tilsley's. And it's a much... In fact, I think in every country the episode was given something... I think in Germany it was two and two equals two. Yeah, two plus so. two is two, isn't yeah, it? Something like that. Yeah. Even, plus yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> equals... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's better. Mm. Every, everything is better than this title, which has... And then you sort of picking it apart for... For relevance, there's quite an interesting line within the first sort of sixty seconds when one of the agents says, "It's just possible that there is no clue to be found," hmm. which is, <laughs> I think Vincent Tilsey's sort of saying, "Really, don't look too deeply into this one. Yeah. There's nothing." So directed by Pat Jackson, yes, the ever ever faithful, ever reliable, and uh, written by Vincent Tilsley. It's the first episode to feature a cold open. Yes, yes, which is continued on then in uh, Living in Harmony. Which doesn't have one at all. A lot of people believe that this is the first episode of a potential second season. Not, I, yeah, I, this is something we need to discuss because I've mm. always thought that. Um, I assume this was the first episode of series two. Yeah. But this, it isn't. But this is where, where the money is starting to be <laughs> yeah. stopped. Yeah. And uh, Luke Gray is saying, yeah, I'm not funding anymore. So people were going unpaid, people were putting in their own time and money into this and McGoohan obviously went to do Ice Station Zebra to get some funds to finish the series. So essentially, you know, four episodes to to get it finished. So funded by Ice Station Zebra. Yes. So thanks Ernest Borgnine and Mark Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> According to the, the Prisoner book by Rob Fairclough, the, uh, had the serial been renewed for a second series, the format would have followed the one presented in this episode. Yes. So there was an idea that they would have sent number six out on missions. Mm. The village is, uh, you know, he would have been a spy for the village. Yeah. So whether or not he would have had his original face or maybe some kind of Doctor Who kind of style thing where he would not regenerate, but, you know, with Saltzman's machine. <laughs> Instead of having a different number two every week, you'd have, you could have a, number, a different number six. I'm only speculating. No, I, you mean, know, but I mean, Mark Steen was talking about this for, for months before, about how, how to sort of elongate the series. And, and he, he, was, he was always talking about getting it out of the village. Mm. It was the only way to sort of to stretch it into a, a full second series was to come up with ideas like this. Yeah, and harmony, of course. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, you can see what they're trying to do. Mm. And he got, I got a sense with, like, with watching Change of Mind last week 
they're just kind of running out of ideas mm. to, to contained within the village. But uh, yeah, the first pre-titles though. It was yeah. very. It was very ITC. It was a standard ITC thing, wasn't it? Well, I mean, it, maybe later. I mean, especially on things like Randall and Hopkirk and um, uh, Department S, definitely had cold opens. Yeah. But the prison up to this point it just started with the opening sequence, which obviously serves as the narrative explanation of how he gets to the village because it's all told visually, isn't it? Yeah. And then you get the different music when he wakes up. Yeah. So it's all. It's all. It's kind of. Going back into this kind of idea of it being the first episode of season two, or it's there's just little changes being made from this point onwards. Yes, and it's more of an ominous piece of music, yeah. isn't it? Da, 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I first saw Fallout that, mm. in, the, in the title, da, 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 and that, that discordance sort of drop. Yeah, that's here. It is, and it's when he's driving through London, isn't it? Uh, Patrick McGowan. <laughs> Patrick McGowan driving through London. <laughs> But, um, I mean, if you've ever listened to the soundtrack album, so you know when he wakes up mm. and you have that low-key music and then he opens the blinds and it goes to... Where am I? And that piece of music basically just starts to fade out. But if you listen to the soundtrack album, it goes into that piece of music that you hear uh, when he's when you've got that aerial shot of him driving around London, but also at the beginning of Fallout where you've got the aerial shot of of Port Marion, and yeah. you have the title card that says, you know, filmed in the grounds. Mm. Yeah, I love that piece of music because it's so ominous. Yes. It's like it's foreshadowing something. I I had I remember the first time I saw it, and I my, I kind of had a proper shiver mm. at, that, at that note, and, and it, just over the word fallout as mm. well. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so exciting. Because it's... Dun, <laughs> yeah. dun, dun, dun. There's a power to it. Yeah. And certainly about the words, certainly about the words fallout. I don't know we're talking about the wrong episode. Yeah. But it's just the oh, God, just, I can't wait to see this. But, but this, I also used to find that with the bumpers or mm. interstitials, is that they have this slightly discordant feel to them as well. Yeah, uh, and that's now obviously lost. But that always added to the episode for me. Yeah, and of course the deconstruction and the construction and of the, the penny farthing, about the whizzing of the wheel as well. Yeah, was quite sort of. Uh, There's a lot of reused footage in this episode. Oh, I mean, the, how, how long was Patrick McGowan driving that car? That must have been days. <laughs> and, you know, God bless him. I mean... <sighs> but I heard a story that there's, there's a lot of um, trims from Arrival in this. Mm. But I do know somebody who might be able to answer that question. So we're very fortunate to have with us today Rick Davey, who runs the Unmutual website. You're a bit of a champion, aren't you? I, I love doing not forsake me on my darling. Um, and you're right, it always is the bottom of fan polls as to which is your most or least favourite episode. That always comes bottom. I would add to that, I don't think there is a, a weak episode of The Prisoner. I think some are better than others, but I think they're all great. I think even the worst ones are great. This one is probably the worst one, in inverted commas, but I love it, and I love it for four reasons. Firstly, I think the music is among the best in this series. I love the reworking of the theme tune. Mm-hmm. I think um, Bert Elm's version of uh, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean is superb. Yeah. I love the music. I'll add a caveat to that. Not the jaunty French and Austrian music we see when he's... When he's <laughs> when projection. That wasn't Eric Michael, music editor's finest moment. Um, so but that, we'll park that to one side. The rest of the episode has, has, has great music. The second thing, no pun intended, I like the stock footage. Uh, <laughs> I just couldn't drive, um, which is why we see... We, don't, we never see him driving other than a very slow-moving thing where he's at the port where I think they must have just pushed the cage yeah. and let it go or run away and then filmed it kind of rolling along slowly. 
because he couldn't drive. So they had to use Magoon footage. But what I love about it is that they don't just recut the footage we see in the opening sequence. They use offcuts from the opening sequence. So we see shots that we wouldn't otherwise see. And I love that. I'm a real devotee of the production of The Prisoner and trying to match up which episodes things were filmed for, because a lot of the time they're not filmed for the episode that they end up in, as you know. Um, so I love the fact that we see lots of offcuts from the opening sequence that we wouldn't otherwise have were it not for these episodes. I also love the use of, of um, the MGM backlot, such as when he's in, um, so supposedly in Austria. There's, there's great use of the backlot for that. So that's the second reason why I love the episode. The third reason why I love the episode is pure nostalgia. When I was 10, this is 10-year-old great sci-fi stuff, isn't it? The mind swap. You know, yeah, when you're yeah. 10, these sorts of things are fantastic telly. And I remember really enjoying this episode when it was on. And the problem that we all have as prisoner fans is that it's great to kind of go into the minutiae of every episode and analyse what it all means, analyse the production of it. I think we lose sight of a lot of things when we do that. We lose sight of how much fun something is the first time you watch it. And I think anyone that watches Do Not Forsake Me and Girl Who Was Death, I think the same applies to Girl Who Was Death. Yes, yeah. when we analyse it, we can turn around and say, those episodes don't need to be there. They don't affect the narrative. Just get rid of them. They're just filler. Yes, they are, but they're great fun. Yeah. And when I first saw Do Not Forsake Me, I'm a darling, I really, really enjoyed it. I remember turning to my brother at the end and went, that was good, wasn't it? It didn't really make any sense for the rest of the series. It didn't really make any sense on its own, but it didn't have to. It was just a bit of fun for 50 minutes, and that's why I like it. The most important reason that I like the episode, though, is that it adds to the discussion. We find so much more about Number Six Out from this episode. It adds to the whose side are they on kind of discussion for the village. You know, are his bosses in on it or not? We can't have that discussion without this episode, or if we can, it's a much weaker discussion. So I think the fact that we can now talk about, you know, are, are they in on it? Uh, they're, they're, they're clearly not fully in on it because, you know, the village of, uh, are going after his guy as well as number six. You know, the, the Undertaker guy turns up at the end and gasses them both. Well, if uh, Sir Charles and his gang were in on the village, they wouldn't need to do that because Potter had just turned up and abducted him himself. So I think there's a great discussion that's had because this episode exists that wouldn't happen otherwise. So I think yeah, you've got four good reasons as to why this is a really good episode. Yes, the, the plot's got more holes in it than a fishing net, but the writing leaves a bit to be desired. Yes, the dialogue from Nigel Stockhouse number six is pretty appalling and very un like um, Magoon would never have said yes they've played this wretched trick on me or whatever the, the, the line <laughs> yeah. is you wouldn't hear Magoon saying words like that it's as simple as that I think Nigel Stock was 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 miscast he does it he does yeah. the best good job as he can he is a good actor mm. but I, I don't think he, he is Magoon so yes there are negatives about it and I can understand why people come out with that but I think it adds so much and I think focusing on the positives of every episode uh, rather than than picking holes in them all is, is where we should be at yeah no, it, it, it was great fun. Mm. Um, I hadn't seen it for about twenty years. Uh, it was, it was, it wasn't one that I kind of returned to. It wasn't one of the no, ones I used same. to watch over and over and over again. Like a, many happy returns, I, I did. I did enjoy it actually. I, it is one that I, I generally skip, but I did enjoy watching it yesterday. Yeah, it's kind of ironic because by this point, uh, Mark scenes has vanished, and yet yes. this one is this one is actually a series, a pure spy. Yeah. This would have been exactly the kind of thing he would have loved. Yes, exactly, exactly. As was girl, there was death. If you, if yeah. you take away the or take away the last five minutes, um, absolutely. And it does fall down, and it does become obvious that this is something that they kind of scrape together at the last minute to to kind of solve a problem with Magoo and being in in America. I mean, originally, 
um, it was going to be written as some sort of travelling circus comes to town and makes number six disappear. And that was the original <laughs> idea that uh, the writer came up with. But I think David Tomlin just thought, look, we haven't got time for all these shenanigans. Let's just do the straightforward body swap. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that. Do you think David Tomlin basically and Tilsley, Tilsley came up with a bit much more of a, of a prisoner-esque sci-fi fantasy kind of element and Tomlin did the Mark Stein and made it a little bit more accessible or more... Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And uh, and we can see that throughout the last two episodes, because, of course, it was Tomlin's storyline idea from a Danger Man episode that was never made that, that, that built the girl that was death. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's very true that and ironic that they ter- Tomlin would turn around and say, with McGowan's blessing, I would assume, um, turn around and say, let's just make this a straightforward spy thriller 50, 50 minutes. It's much easier it'd be much more presentable to the public. The public are used to seeing that sort of thing. Let's just do that. Um, and that's probably what lets the episode down. It, it, it is the most straightforward episode. And because of that, you do lose the allegory and you do lose the, the the content that you want to kind of look underneath of, which you do with all the other episodes. You want to see what's what's beneath the, the, the facade of the storytelling. You don't really get that with this episode. but I found it very hard to analyse this episode. I didn't, yeah. because there's not enough substance... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing to analyse, really. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, well, if you want to analyse the plot holes, you can. But um, yes, and the, yeah. fact, and the fact that, the, that the, someone who is supposedly the most important secret agent or person of a secret agent in the world needs to count letters on his fingers. I, do you know what that reminded me of? Uh, it was that, it's that, that performative deduction thing. Do you remember Dracula AD 1972? Oh, yes. When yes. Uh, Peter, Peter Cushing works out that Johnny Alucard's name is Dracula <laughs> spelt backwards by drawing it on a piece of paper. He's kind of got the A goes there. Why are you writing that paper. down? <laughs> Just, you're doing that for us, for our benefit. Yeah. One, Absolutely. One thing that people don't like about it is they say, where's this, where's this fiancé come from? Mm. Well, we never ask him. There's no other episodes where we, we pose that question of him other than in Chimes of Big Ben, when he's with Nadia in the crate and they're travelling across, you know, in the, in the boats and the planes or whatever, at one point she says, Do you, uh, are you married? Do you have a wife Shut in England? Up. <laughs> yeah, he says, he says no to that. And then she says, are you engaged? Is that the word engaged? And he's exactly right. He just says, go to sleep. He completely avoids answering that question. The answer is, is because we knew all along that he was engaged. If he wasn't engaged, he just said no. And who's the writer who tries a Big Ben? Vincent Tilsley. Yeah. What's the only other episode that he wrote? Do not forsake. Yeah. It all ties in. So when people say, this is the first we've heard of having a wife. No, the clues were there all along. And we also know that um, his fiance, her dad runs the organisation that he works for. Well, that's proof to me that his own side don't run the village. Mm. Or do. I've given, you t- I've given you completely conflicting answers there because this is the biggest dilemma I have about Janet existing. Surely the easiest ploy for the village to get him to talk would say, we've got your bird, talk or she gets it. <laughs> they don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is because it's her dad. So therefore, uh... they must be in on it. Otherwise, the village would have just abducted her and said, look, we're going to torture her unless you cough up all that you know. And he probably would have done because he's gallant and he loves his fiance. But then the, the, the alternative view to that is that in the episode, Do Not Forsake Me, I think it's clear that they don't know where he's been or where he is or where he's going. They just know he's after Seltzman. They don't know that there's another guy tailing both of them. So that tells me that they're not 
mm. you know, in, in, in cahoots with the village. I don't know what you guys' thoughts are about which side runs the village, but this episode gives us much more to discuss about it than any other episode, and that's another reason to like it. Yes. I don't think there's anything concrete. You know, even by the end of Fallout, it's it's never anything that's been established. But, but now I've seen Colony 3, it's it, I feel that the village is, even though it doesn't really matter anyway, it, it, I think that for Mark Stein's conceit is that maybe it is uh, somewhere in the Eastern Bloc. Because the Colony 3 thing, you know, it's they go over the top to be English. And they've got yes. a, a lord there or a duke or something. And yes. they're very plummy. And the, the, the guy he meets is almost likened him to. Possibly, hence the shooting sticks, blazers. And they don't the, have any of that. No, what no, I mean that, is that, yeah. that's almost like a, a comedically overstressed yeah, maybe. English gentleman. But it, uh, I don't think costume. it really matters, does it? My, my no. biggest plot point of this episode of Do Not Forsake Me is the existence of the amnesia machine. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, why don't they just wipe his memory every day? <laughs> well, he seems to have done. When he wakes up in Nigel Stock's body, he seems to have completely forgotten that he's been in the village for the yeah. best part of the year. Yes. Ah, bring the car yeah. in. Well, yes. Yes. Cancel the milk. A uh, present for Janet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I did say this at the beginning. If you overanalyze this, yeah. realize that it probably is absolutely dreadful. But don't do that. Just enjoy it for what it is. Yes, is yes. 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 Uh, both this and Girl Who Was Death. Yeah. Uh, and oh, then as yeah. well you know the three the three episodes which are very much the filler we're running to the end here we need to find three episodes how are we gonna yeah. you know fill three slots I, I think just just watch them for what they are and enjoy them for what they are and you get a lot more out of them than trying to analyze it is, is how i would sum up the, yeah you the, can the suck the fun out of it yeah <laughs> ah thank you so much to rick davy there that was brilliant i i really really enjoyed that and don't forget check out www theunmutual.co.uk Yes, or follow them on Facebook or, or Twitter as well. It's a, it's, it's a mine of, of never-ending information. It's it's wonderful. It's it's so much on there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a prisoner library. Yeah, it is. Itself, isn't it? This is a question for you. What right. links this episode with the Beatles' early recordings? Uh, this was uh, oh Pete Best uh, drummed on an oh no I know the answer to this it's my Barney like uh, uh, yes I'll sing, I'll sing no more in case I tread no you're on. right no you're absolutely right do you, do you know why my Barney uh, obviously it's a a version of my Barney that's weaved into the yeah. episode but how does that connect with the Beatles oh they sang it it was in, uh, I remember it was on Backbeat do you remember the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the films, one of the songs they recorded in Hamburg, wasn't it? It is with Tony Sheridan. Yeah, uh, and Tony Sheridan sang the vocals on it, uh, and the Beatles backed him up. And the and the B side was "Ain't She Sweet," uh, and it's the record that Brian Epstein had heard people come into a shop in Liverpool, NEMS, asking for this Liverpool band, or this some of them say this German band, <laughs> the Beatles. Das Beatles. Das Beatles. It's the arguably the the song that launched the Beatles' career. Yet again, it's that there's, as we find, there are more than one Beatles references within this. Yeah, we know yeah. George Harrison was a big fan. Oh, I think they, I think they all were. I think Lennon would have loved The Prisoner, but well, I, I know Harrison was a fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think there's 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 a lot of Beatles dis- uh, discussion to be had in the uh, in the, in the final episode. episode. But, Absolutely. Uh, but then you're right. There it is. My Bonnie popping up. Mm-hmm. And of course, that foreshadows the narrative, doesn't it? My Bonnie lies over the ocean. He yes. wants to get back to his fiance. To his Bonnie. Yeah. Who uh, makes her first appearance? I, 
I mean, uh, as, as, as Rick said, he um, it, it's mentioned and she is mentioned and alluded to mm. in the Chimes of Big Ben. He obviously hasn't missed her much. He's, <laughs> he's never sort of pining. So <laughs> Why do you want to escape? I've got to get back to my fiance. Yeah. She must be going crazy. <laughs> yes. With my Bonnie, when um, when number six is uh, drives all across Europe, it's taken all the way across Europe. We're in France now. With the black projection of Nigel Stock with a fan blowing his. Yes, the the very obviously non-driving Nigel Stock. I think that is one of the the weaker points of the episode. It's not needed. Then again, you know. Well, he's got to get to. Yeah, but you could have. They could have done it like an Indiana Jones style map, I suppose, couldn't they? Yeah, just something, you know, from a visual sense, a bit of exposition, maybe. It did. It did pad out a good two minutes of uh, of running time. Yeah, uh, the stock footage did a lot of heavy lifting. Right? <laughs> it did. Pursued by Potter, interesting. Another Potter. Another uh, what? Potter. It's slightly confusing, but mm. uh, I don't even think there's any any point really reading too much into that. Clearly, not the same character from the girl who was death. Yeah. Clearly not the same character from Danger Man or Secret Agent Man. It's this is just somebody called Potter. Yeah. You know, and we've got Danvers as well, who's replacing uh, George Mark Stanley. <laughs> but uh, they've still got the, the Phillips Mercantile Map of the World. They have, yes. On the, off- on, the on the wall. Which they have in, in the Danger Man episode Colony 3, I notice. So a reused prop. Ah, yes. I think from that episode. Yes. Well, again, worth mentioning, if you buy the Blu-ray, you get a free copy of Colony mm. 3. Uh, yeah. That's part of, part of the deal. But, um, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. Where he talks about Danvers being born in Bootle and yeah. had elocution lessons. <laughs> so Danvers is a scouser. He's <laughs> uh, obviously covered up his... I thought that was quite a nice little bit of character building. Yes, yes. But there's also a little bit of... He's patronised him a little bit. You know, you know, when he says, you know, born in Bootle, uh, but had elocution lessons. Yeah, born in Bootle, but <laughs> pretending to be a gentleman. Yes. Like, you couldn't possibly be a gentleman if very you came from Bootle. Very much of its time, though, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. And again, people with regional accents didn't really get onto television in those I'm, days. I am from Liverpool. <laughs> yes. Hello, darling. Hello, I've just been working on a ferry. There, there's um first appearance of the guards, the soldiers... In this episode, yes, who just come out of nowhere? Exactly from a um, from a, a totally different series. Mm. They're almost like the the military or the, the henchmen in the Bond film. Um, you only live twice. Yes, to a certain extent, there's a similarity there. Um, I might be misremembering this, but when I saw it, the first thing I thought about was the the fireman in Fahrenheit four five one, the Truffaut version. Yeah, yeah, they all it was that same sort of. Uh, right, props. Right, okay. I need a uh, and costumes as well. I need um, a sort of military guard, generic type thing. So we've just got helmets, belts, and but yeah, first time. Well, why? I don't understand. There's there is something I don't understand about this. In in previous stories, previous episodes, um, basically to get number six to take him anywhere, they just drug him and put him in a hospital cart and send him off. Yeah. For this, they seem to go in full fascist force six men with <laughs> batons and just drag him out it took five of them as well and well I, th- it's, I think it took four of them and one of them to make sure that his face never faced the camera yeah I mean have we have we actually established the the, the central problem uh, with this episode the reason behind it which one uh, well just in case <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, uh, in, in, ca- in case you didn't know, yeah. uh, for this episode, even though they had to film an episode, they did not have one vital component, which was Patrick McGowan. Mm. Because Patrick McGowan had signed up by this point to make Ice Station Zebra. Mm. So he wasn't actually available, apart from uh, one bit where you have to suddenly wake without yeah. being groggy at all. <laughs> he, just, he just had his mind yeah. transferred from a, a little bit of exposition person. that he reads out as well, isn't there, about Saltzman? <laughs> but he also does some dialogue. He does some voiceover stuff as well, doesn't yeah, he? But yeah, it's, it's all done after the fact. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a bit of a problem-solving episode. Yeah. There's a conceit that you use another actor uh, and a storyline that could just be lifted from the Avengers. Well, I mean, it, it kind of was lifted from the Avengers in a mm. way. Um, the last Emma Peel episode, mm. I th- I'm pretty sure they did this one or a few times. The last Emma Peel episode was a bit of a weak affair with uh, Freddie Jones, and they sort of bring in Linda Thorson, mm. sort of feed her into it, called the Forget Me Not. Right. And it's exactly the same thing. Freddie Jones knocks out John Steed and then turn, puts his mind into his. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly Patrick McNeese walking around chewing gum. It's kind of sci-fi trope of the time. Well, the last episode of Star Trek, uh, the original series, Turnabout Intruder, Kirk and an ex-lover who's a scientist... Have their do they mind, mind meld? Yeah, well, no, they have their minds swapped. swapped. Yeah, so she becomes she's a bit unhinged and she takes over Captain Kirk's body, and of course everyone thinks she's Captain Kirk, and of course he's trapped in the body of this female scientist, and no one believes he's Captain Kirk. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's it, it's an odd episode for Star Trek to go out on. Yeah, and I suppose it's kind of an interesting idea because yeah, I bet you from a writer's point of view and an actor's point of view. Yeah, hey, do you know what be fun? If you, it's, a bit, it's a bit like face-off. It's, yes. it's, it's exactly the same sort of thing. And we're going to get Travolta to act like Nick Cage yeah. and Nick Cage to act like... Tra- that, that's, the kind of, that's the film. Yeah. Uh, how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to come up with some nonsensical plot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's really the hook of it And the, in the same way. One of the things that really lets this episode down for me is the, is the missed opportunity mm. of, of having somebody sort of maybe do a bit of magoonery Yes. In his performance, there's none. I think you've got to be careful, though, that doesn't come across as an impersonation. No, but not in terms of uh, sort of... Even the, even maybe just kind of doing that slightly kind of thing McGoon did with his one eye was bigger than the other. <laughs> yeah, just, but, I mean, it's like you, you get people who do impressions of William Shatner. Yeah. And they're all do kind of like... And, of course, you listen to William Shatner, he doesn't sound anything like that because the impersonation has become greater than the actual performance. Yeah. You know who it is. It's like all the spitting image characters. You know, you knew who they were by the heightened versions that they were impersonating. And I think you, Stock would have been had to have been very, very careful how he played it. I mean, we we do some Patrick McGowan impressions, but you know, they're a little bit, you know, they are over the top, aren't yes, they? Yes, yes. But course. you get the point. We are exaggerating them, and I think he'd have to be careful. He didn't do that in his performance. I think he's he was wise to be a little bit more subtle. Ah, it's just, but it. I think it was just the wrong actor. I think. Maybe, he, yes. He, he was, yes. He's kind of undone by his unavoidable kindliness. He's such mm. a delight and a, a kind of teddy bearish gait to him when he's padding around in the house. He has that sort of, he doesn't have any of the, the just Magoo just the way he sort of just paces and, and he has that sort of very, like a brittle. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, and I think, I think you're right, and that's not taking anything away from um, Nigel Stark, who's a fantastic actor. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you need someone not on McGowan's level, but someone who has that danger that yeah. McGowan has to sell it. But, by contrast, having someone who hasn't got that danger, like you say, this teddy bear appeal, creates an interesting 
problem for the actor, whether he succeeded or not. From his perspective, I don't know, but I know exactly what you mean. I didn't feel convinced that was number six. No, and a lot of the dialogue didn't help as well, which is interesting because it's 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 Vincent Tilsley who's writing, who's back Mm. again, having written one of the strongest episodes. He knows exactly how to write for this character. Yes, Uh, but then again, he did it. He he actually describes his own episode as idiotic. Yeah, I, having watched it obviously again recently, and you know, and it is one that I generally skip, and I feel a bit guilty about skipping it because there are things to like in this episode. Oh, yeah, it's it's not unlikable at all. Mm. I think it's actually just it's one of like you say, there's not, not a great deal to sort of analyze no. in terms of the allegory or anything like that. So in fact, you kind of you feel a little bit unburdened by that. You can actually yeah. just sit back and watch a bit of a caper. One thing it did remind me of in talking about body swap was Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah. They did an episode actually called Body Swap. So Chris Barry started playing Craig Charles' character, Lister. Yeah. Of course, he put on the Scouse accent because he's fantastic. Remember, you worked on Spitting Image. Yeah. And then Craig Charles played Rimmer. <laughs> and it's a, f- it's a brilliant episode because it's funny. Yeah. Because with this, it plays quite seriously with the sci-fi concept with the Red Dwarf episode, it looks at all the potential comedy elements that you could do with this. And the conceit in Red Dwarf is, let me use your body and I'll get you fit. Yeah. And of course, as soon as he gets the body, he's like stuffing his face. And there's, <laughs> that's what's so funny. And of course, you've got the obvious toilet humour as well. And he goes to the toilet for the first time in his new body. You've got a lot of comedy. And I think maybe there could have been a little bit more humour in this episode to to sell and nod and w- the wink to the audience like, you know, we know Pat's not here yeah. and we're going to have some fun with this. Well, I suppose in a, in a way, one of, one of the bits of fun that Tilsley had was giving, uh, putting a kissing scene straight in there, knowing that he didn't have, <laughs> he didn't have to, to do it. To just put a red biro <laughs> straight through this scene. Cut yeah, this. Yeah. I was surprised. If, if that had been Magoo and that kissing scene would have been, nobody shakes my hand like you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, nobody puts me at arm's length. <laughs> <laughs> But any episode that has the Lotus 7 should yeah, always deserve yes. praise, even if it's not the original Lotus 7. Oh. This was another model that they had to source. Oh, really? The original one wasn't available. Where was it? I think it had been sold. Oh, my God. Is it open? <laughs> yeah, can we get the Lotus? Uh, can we the guy's face? <laughs> oh. Ah. I didn't realise you wanted it again. <laughs> I, I, uh, why are you wearing that expensive suit? Um... I, lo- I love the fact when he walks into that office and he slams down onto the table again and the tea gets Yeah, the tea. Spilled. It seems like a prisoner thing. <laughs> yeah. You go anywhere near a table, the tea yeah. is the first thing to suffer. I didn't feel that Dan was fully appreciated that role or felt <laughs> that he was right for that role until <laughs> number six had spilt tea on him. Indeed. Even Stock's attempt to sort of uh, to throw the door open yeah. sort of didn't quite work. <laughs> I don't have the, the, the same frame for this. Yeah. Oh, he's, he tried, bless him. He did. Hey, do you remember what he was in? He was in uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Nigel Stock? Yeah. Yes. He was the old, he was the old yeah. professor. Eta yeah. Holmes. Isn't that one of his last screen roles, I think? Was it? I think so. I think my mum and dad's, Nigel Stock's ex-wife lived mm. near them in, in France. Ah. Or something like that. Some actor you've probably never heard of, Nigel yeah. Stock. I know who Nigel <laughs> Stock is. <laughs> then we get this unusual code name, don't we? ZM73. Mm. Which sounds like a skincare thing. <laughs> Have you tried ZM73? It sounds like a, a number plate. Does, isn't it? Yeah, probably was. Yeah. And of course, it gives his code names. Obviously, yeah. the, the one that we've talked about with 
Rick was Smith and Schmidt and Peter Schmidt. And oh, what's the French one again? Duval. Duval, yes. Which is, means of the valley. It's a common French name, Duval. Like Smith. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's another one for you. What's the Italian equivalent of Smith? Of Smith? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh. Oh, God, go on. Ferrari. What? Yeah. Ferrari is... is, is... It's derivation. is blacksmith, like our Smith. I did not know that. So Ferrari, for its wonderful, unattainable glamour, it's basically actually, British Smith. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. in Italy. It's like Jones. Yeah, but it's like in the eighties when they had all those cars, but like Fiat, the Fiat Strada, and all that kind of stuff. It was like the Italians and Spanish all looking. Why would you call that? It's like calling a car an alley. Or <laughs> it's, a, yeah, it's, but it just sounds good. You've made the most beautiful sports car in the world. You yeah. call it Dave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it sounds great in different languages. It does. Yeah. At least we get a paternoster lift yes. in this episode. Why, why? Surely, I mean, my Latin is a bit rusty. Is it our father? Our father lift, don't know. I've never is really it, thought the etymology. Is it, is it, it's because when you get onto it, you start praying for your life yeah. because it's such a health and safety nightmare. Well, they, they have them in hospitals, don't they? I mean, in the um, the recent BBC drama, This Is Going To Hurt, mm. they have a paternoster lift. Yeah. It's also shown in the hospital at the beginning of The Omen. Yes, There's yes. a paternoster lift. It's like a dumbwaiter for actual waiters. Yeah, you've got to be. You've, I always found them quite dangerous. I always wondered, you know, how many like, casualties you, you get all you, from them. All, you, all you've got to do is forget to get off for about three seconds, and yeah. you've got and you've got a three foot drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you could, you know, trap your head in the. Yeah, the, there is a reason they don't quite exist anymore. Mm. Do you think that this has a feel of... We've talked about show Bibles before, but it it almost feels like this is an episode that's been outsourced to somebody who only has a fleeting knowledge <laughs> yeah. of the prisoner. Tilsley clearly knew that the, the setup. He he wrote one of the best episodes. Well, yeah, but he... I mean, he claims that his episode was... I want to say butcher, but it was heavily rewritten. By David Tomlin. By, by David Tomlin. Mainly because, like you say, they're desperately trying to make this one mm. work. It's a bit like it's a funeral. It's not, uh, we've got a great idea for a show. It's, we've got footage mm. and we need this to make sense. Can you somehow thread a narrative through here and yeah. we'll just film those bits? But of course, we've got to remember that, you know, money had, had been pulled. Time was of the essence. McGowan and Tomlin are trying to get this finished. They're trying to get the last four episodes mm. done and dusted by using whatever methods necessary, reusing footage, you know, Trying to asking the uh, cast and crew for scripts. Eric Mivel, the sound editor, uh, pitched two ideas. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, Ian Rakoff, well, who was an editor, pitched. With with Mark Steen's departure, um, did that basically mean that he well he was the guy who went and found all the writers? Mm. So with him gone, and maybe it was a slight oversight. Oh God, he was. Oh, that's what he did. It's like saying, oh, yeah, you're not you're not on our team. Yeah, but he owns the ball. Yeah. <laughs> It's like somebody, does anyone here know how to fly a plane? <laughs> Another thing I thought of is it's almost what we now call a clip show to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that when he's looking in the mirror and they have the whole yeah, sort of the flashback. Bits. Yeah. And then he punches the mirror, which have you ever done that in real life? No, I've, I don't think I've ever punched I, a mirror. I did one by accident. It's, yeah. You're going to bleed. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen the, um, the, there's a film called The Nice Guys. Yes. When he, he puts a towel around his hand and punches through the window mm. to get in. And he just, just starts absolutely <laughs> geeses of blood just running down, which is exactly what would happen. Yeah, yeah. There's also uh, a scene reminiscent of Engadine's dreamy party. Yeah, yes. Isn't there? And I'm sure some of that footage is 
uh, our trims from that episode. It probably is, yes. This is another one of these famous celebrity dad episodes. Go on. A bit like uh, it's your funeral. I miss this. Uh, you know when they go to the, uh, he goes to the photo shop? Yeah. Sorry, the camera shop. And there's a photo of Bob Monkhouse on the yes, front. So he gets a cameo. Is that Ace? Yeah. The guy, the guy who sells in the Cameron uh, takes a. It, it won't be a very flattering study. Mm. That's uh, uh, Timothy West's dad. Is it? Yes. And he's got Lockwood West. I saw. I did look up Lockwood West. I didn't realise that was Timothy West's. So he's Timothy West's father. dad. Obviously Samuel West's grandfather. grandfather. What a name! Pr- Prunella Scales' father-in-law. Indeed, yes. Lockwood West. Yeah. I I, would, I just want to have a child now, just to call it Lockwood West. I didn't realise like that. Dynasty. So th- three generations of the West. Indeed, begins oh, here. Yeah. There's a Lockwood West. Yeah. It sounds like something from Falcon Crest, doesn't it? <laughs> My attorney, Lockwood West, will, will be dealing with this. And also, uh, not so much a famous dad, but a famous uncle mm. turns up at the party too. Jonathan Nolan, whose nephew is... Christopher Nolan. <laughs> the, Christopher, the Christopher Nolan's The Prisoner movie. That would have been an interesting yeah. thing. So that's Christopher Nolan's uncle playing. Yeah, yeah. So he's the young man who asks Janet to dance. Yes. 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 <laughs> Before stock do you know who, over the uh... He's an interesting one. Do you know who he's married to? Jonathan Nolan? Yeah. No. He's, he's married to Kim Hartman, who played <laughs> Helga in Allo Allo. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're one step away from duty-free. Well, I'm, if I can get a low, a low in as well. <laughs> I actually worked on the stage show of a low, a low. Did you? Yeah, back in... It was... Uh, oh, you went bowling with Arthur Bostrom, didn't I you? Did, yeah, he was on my team. Yeah. He's, he oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. Hilarious. He's just as you'd expect him to be. Uh, no, as a bowler. I don't think he was like. I think he was too bothered having a few drinks and having a laugh. And <laughs> nobody really took it seriously. It was just a social event. At the, it was like a rap like a rap party it was they'd been there for like two weeks oh. so you know you get to know them and so you had Kim Hartman was there and um, uh, Gordon Kay, Vicky Michelle oh wow you, you know quite a few I think Hilary Minster was there as well but there were some omissions I, think, I don't remember Guy Siner being there or um, some of it but Robin Parkinson was there playing uh, It Is I Leclerc <laughs> of course famous f- to me as the voice of the narrator on Button Moon Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, amongst hundreds well, of appearances. Mr. Spool. <laughs> yeah. And who sang that? No, I, well, I don't know. Who wrote and sang the theme tune to Button Moon? I'm going to say Ralph McTell. No, it was Peter Davison. Of and, Doctor Who fame? Yeah, and his wife, Sandra Dickinson. God, man of many talents. He was, isn't he? Wasn't he? Sorry, he is, I mean. He is, sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, George Tennant's father and David Tennant's father-in-law. It's Peter, Peter Davison. Davison. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. That's, 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 that's next, a bit of value next, for the podcast. Exactly. Next week yeah. on uh, Family Histories. Yeah. There's, um, when he writes down in the camera shop, he writes down 0, 1 and 10, doesn't he? I wonder if that is an intentional piece of foreshadowing with the 0, 1. Uh, no. No. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> Moving on. I, do, I, quite, I really liked that bit uh, mm. when he assembles the slides. Mm. And then the thing appears quite clumsily, actually, yeah. the way they do it. But there's something really nice and analogue yes. about the way he finds this out. Yeah. Uh, was, and it's, it's a bit like any of those, a bit like blow up when he's assembling the photographs and keeps having to big, do bigger ones yeah. and stuff like that. The actual sort of showing him or blow out yeah. when they do the kind of same thing where he's photographing each frame of the things and then he turns it into a film. And yeah. I, I, I thought, oh, I'm quite enjoying this. Quite. I like. Oh, it's but that was genius a, the way he does it. That was a common trope of the spy genre, though, wasn't it? It was the hidden camera. Yeah, but the, I don't think I've ever seen that. No, I think that was a, a, a that was a pretty ingenious way to to, to hide yeah. information. 
But they, I mean, they, I mean, this has been covered hundreds of times. Obviously, the misspelling of Saltzman on the yeah, <laughs> Saltzman, isn't it? Or Salt, Saltzman, not Saltzman. And the, and, the, and the misspelling slightly of Port Merion as well. Yeah, Our giving first clue. First clue. Yeah, we don't need to cover that. I mean, that's been talked about for I th- years and years. I think and that's and years. probably the first thing that pops into my head mm. when I think of this episode. Oh, that's the one. With the but it mentions about Filey Clyde, doesn't it? Which doesn't exist. No, the place in Scotland, the the barber shop. So he finally arrives after, thanks to the uh, bat projection and travel across Europe. <laughs> and stock music. Stock music. Maybe that's what he was playing in car. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have 8-track then? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> it was just on the radio. But, yeah, the, the, the date is the 16th. But I know I'm, I'm reading far too much into this, but, Go but on. separate them, one and six. You cracked it. Well... We can finish now. <laughs> no, I, I, <laughs> but I, I think sometimes with numerology, I mean, there's you know they they say if you if you um, think of a number, and I tried this and it works. I thought being a Douglas Adams fan, forty two, I'll give that a go. Mm. Of course, I would see it every day. I'd mm. see it in a number play. I'd say, but you attuned to looking for it, and I think. That's the problem with numbers. They don't have to mean anything. They don't have to have any, you know... Any significance. McGowan said, he goes, there's been so much written that didn't need to be written. It's been over-analysed so much. And he said that in his lifetime. Yes. You know? And before, before the videos there, there came is, out. There is a danger, isn't there, of, of reading too much? Well, there is, but there's, there's, there's so much fun to be had from completely over, overdoing it. Yeah. Um, but, but at the same time, you have to separate off. Yes, absolutely. And... I, I think that's I don't I'm not reading anything into that, especially with this episode. Mm. I don't think intentional. We have Hugo Schuster as Saltzman. Yes, his last screen role. That's uh, a common thread. Yes, <laughs> it's, 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 the prisoner is a lot of people. It's a career-ending role, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Uh, the prisoner. But one thing I want to talk about is the uh, there's a comment there that Clifford Evans number two, our first Welsh number two. Yes, indeed. Um, he he makes a hile. Comment, yeah, doesn't he? What a strange. Well, comment. I mean, you can read that two ways. You can read that that when he talks about dictatorship, he he goes that as a hile as a yes, you know, yeah, yeah. as a common thing. But also, is there an implication that Seltzman was once involved well, with the that, that? That was what I thought. Mm. I thought he was basically saying we we know. I thought yeah. that was him saying, don't try and come the goody with me. I, yeah. know, I know what you did yeah. between thirty nine and forty five. Obviously, with NASA. Yeah, yes. You know, and um, the the rocket programs, the Apollo programs, and all that kind of stuff. You know, bringing these German scientists over. Yes, who would get old boy? Yes, everyone knows about that anyway. But I wonder if that's you know, there's well, I, a, another I, layer to that. I assumed it was, but it was kind of slightly clunkily dropped in. So mm. I thought, oh, hang on, I, I, I rewound that a few few times and said, what's what's going on here? It, there's the Austrian connection as well. Yeah, so yeah. he's not in Switzerland; he's in Austria. What was going on in this scene? Mm. The, the overhead shots, which are manifestly <sighs> not the same actors. No, why did he bother? I don't know. What does I, that add? Were they they're just of, done for filler, aren't they? They're just done to pad out that scene. It had taken so long to get the camera up on that massive. <laughs> yeah, thing. but you would a, shoot, the actors you'd had, shoot uh, a few off. at the same time, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, but he would say, "What are you?" What are you doing? This look, they look nothing like the actual mm-hmm. actors. Let's not use them. Oh, no, no. And then we have the ending, the big, uh, the big twist, the switcheroo, the, uh, the brains, the minds are swapped, and um, pretty colossal bit of uh, 
I don't know, bad writing. I think Tilsley just, you know, I'm just going to hand this in. Saltzman cunningly swaps his own mind into Nigel Stock's body. Uh, number six wakes up very, very, very perky, doesn't he? Mm. Considering he's, uh, his brain's been passed from body to body and he's been in a coma for a good couple of days. He's got straight up there. No, yeah. hello. And then, of course, he's uh, number two realises almost instantly what's happened is that Saltzman's now Nigel Stock and there he is in a helicopter. Mm. Big victory. And... <laughs> I just watching it thinking, surely Clifford Evans is going to go, just push a button and say, bring the helicopter back. <laughs> yes. Wait, wait, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, the, Like at the end of Funeral. Yeah, or the end of Schizoid yeah. Man. Or Arrival even. Yeah, it's, I think it's a standard village thing. They can get yeah. the pilots to return to base. He's literally only just taken off. Yeah. But it's like, You've, he's out of your grasp now. Yeah. Just wait for number two to go, no, he's not. But we know they, they don't halter their own continuity. Ah. They, they don't, though, do they? We, we know this. I know. You see, the thing is, it's it, what I think is this is one of the uh, arguably one of the first television stories that has been able to go on without its lead actor. Obviously, Doctor Who's has done this with um, William Hartnell going into Patrick Troughton around that time, and yeah. that survived. But there's been so many more recent examples. I mean, uh, Doctor Who did a whole episode uh, called Blink without Doctor Who. Without Doctor Who, yeah, um, you had uh, you know Oscar winner Carrie Mulligan uh, oh, yeah. playing the lead in that episode, and of course David Tennant only appears very quickly, really, towards the end. And does he wake some... up and go? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he appears in some kind of pre-recorded sequences as well. But the the episode is a Doctor Who story, but it's not carried by the Doctor. Mm. And this is a prison story, arguably <laughs> with the prisoner, but it's not carried by. The prisoner. Yeah. I, there was an incredible Hulk episode that was like this. He kind of hulks out. And you were talking about the SF2. He hulks out in the first 10 seconds. But it, in, instantly you think, that's not Bill Bixby. What's going on here? Yeah. And it turns out that it was more of um, uh, the reporter. Was it Jack Colvin? Yes, the, uh, yes. And it was all about Mr. Him. McGill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. McGill. You wouldn't like, like me, me when I'm angry. But yeah, and then he kind of runs out of a construction site and the, the eyes go. And, that's, and then suddenly it's an hour of, of Hulk yeah. plus Hulk. But, and, and it, that, I remember watching that and thinking, that, that reminds me of the uh, Do Not Forsake Me. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd one, isn't it? It's an odd one. Who's the two? Yeah, Clifford Evans, another ITC staple. And our first Welsh number two. Indeed, yes. But not the last, considering we're almost at the end. Oh, yeah, they piled... Yeah, we should have some Welsh number twos, really. Yeah. Really, given we're in we Wales. Yes. Uh, but no, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty decent actor, Clifford Evans. He's, um, he was in a very good episode of The Avengers, uh, one of the black and whites. The only time I can remember him being a lead was in uh, Curse of the Werewolf. And he was a very good, kind of slightly hammered... Uh, vampire Hunter in Kiss of the Vampire, mm. which is one of those very underrated, uh, I kind of more better, better. Uh, it's found a better renown of late because mm. um, it got passed over because it didn't have Cushing or Lee in it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a beauty, Kiss of the Vampire, and he's very, very good in it. He did a lot of ICC, as you'd probably expect. Yes. Uh, Jason King and uh, Randall and Hopkirk, et cetera, The Saint and The Champions, you name it. It was inevitable <laughs> that at some point he was going to stick on the number two badge. Yeah, he's one of the. He's definitely probably top one of the top names in Roaster by Shaw's uh, <laughs> contact book. Well, it's you know it's it's uh, just there after D. He was also he wasn't just an actor though. He was also a second unit director. Oh, was he? Yeah, um, for a film called The Silver Darlings, 
uh, back in 1947. I mean, he was he was born in 1912. He's from Kafili. Yeah. Uh, but he's had quite a, a varied career, starting in the film industry around 1947. And then he became, his first acting role was in the Riverhouse Mystery in 1935. <laughs> but he'd also been a producer as well. He'd done quite a lot yeah. in his in his career. He had he had he had a good his face evolved well. Mm. I think by the time he was doing this, and he took on a bit more crag mm. in his face uh, yes. in the seventies. He 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 wouldn't have looked out of place in the Heath government or the or the uh, or the Wilson government. <laughs> yes. He would have looked. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you scour the back end of his career in the seventies and eighties, there'd be a lot of playing so and so MP and. Oh, he he was in over a hundred. Yeah, this, uh, productions. Yeah, on film and television, which that, is pretty good going, really. Yeah, he was he was pretty good in this. I don't think he was. I think there's a reason people don't really the name Clifford Evans doesn't leap out when people think of the number twos, but especially in Wales. Yeah, yeah, he but it's Clifford uh, Evans in every town. I, I just think he he didn't really get the best episode to shine, mm. but uh, he he did okay. He was all right in this, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, after hearing Rick Davies' compelling argument mm. as to why that's his favourite, and it, it did kind of awaken in me some nostalgia from that period when we, we first saw The Prisoner. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a six. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a two and a half. A two and a half? Yeah, yeah well, you can do halves, can't I we? Can't, we can do halves, or 2.6. I'm going to give it a 2.6, because I prefer, I much prefer this over Change of Mind. But yes. It, but it's probably not as strong as some of the other episodes I've given a, 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 a three or a four out of six do. Well, that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking mm-hmm. I gave Change of Mind a three, didn't I? So I, I can't... I, and if this is... In, in, in a way, this is a better episode than Change of Mind. <laughs> At least by, by having been forced into a corner and, and right, how the hell are we supposed to... They, they did come up with some intriguing mm. ideas. It's fun. It rolls along. Yeah. It could have been an episode of any... ITC. Yeah. It's, it's a good a, experiment. It is an experiment, well. and it, it it has a certain prisonerishness to it. Mm. Um, but if this was going to be the first episode of a second season, a potential second season, mm. it probably wouldn't be strong. I don't think it would be strong enough as an opener. No, um, no, I know. What you mean. I know where I put it, mm. uh, but we'll discuss that uh, at on the, the end. Later episode. Oh, very yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what do you got? Two and a half. I'm well. I gave Change of Mind a three. I'm gonna. I'll just give this one a three as well. Fair enough. Possibly. No, do you know what? Three. We're doing halves. Three and a mm. half. Okay. To so just to mark it as one notch above that's Change of Mind. That's your right. It is. I'm. I'm. I'm claiming it. Yes. Free for All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton, and special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see you. You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All.